Before Shopify, were you wondering, where my sales at? Now you're selling with Shopify, the global commerce platform supercharging your selling. You have no problem selling online, in person, on social media, and beyond. Gary, easy on the cha-ching. <clears throat> oh, sorry, but my Shopify sales are through the roof. Start selling with Shopify today and discover how millions of businesses around the world use Shopify to ignite their selling. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. Shopify.com slash listen. It's the Stuniverse. We're all back. 2016. We're all back. All two of us. All, everyone's in. It's a full house. <laughs> Hold on, I'll take the register. <laughs> Stu. Yes. Mark. Yes. Okay. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> we'll do it again at the end, see if anyone's bunked off. What's big for 2016? What's big for 2016? So we have uh, a mission launching to Mars, Europe's ExoMars spacecraft that will launch in March. And that's really good. We'll talk about that, I'm sure, um, in subsequent episodes as we get nearer to the launch, because that's going to try to unlock some mysterious atmospheric signals that have been seen on Mars, which could mean um, that there's microbial life there. Ooh. Big stuff. When it, so where, where's that flying off from? It's going from Baikonur. It's going from Russia. They're providing the launch vehicle for this one. Ooh. It's a joint European and Russian mission because the Americans pulled out in 2008 because uh, they were strapped for cash. Right. Are there lots of kind of um, collaborations between... More and more these days because it's just so expensive to do this. uh, The more they collaborate and the more um, the different countries um, work together, just the better it is. So is it going to visit the atmosphere of Mars? It's going, to, it's going to orbit and it's it's got sensors and instruments on there so it'll be looking um, downwards and uh, specifically it's going to try and find uh, methane. It's going to try and look for methane. Right. So, uh, And is that because of microbes farting? Um, I don't think technically they can but it is to do with their metabolism, yes. Right. We should, we, we should get a biologist to clarify that. Yeah, let's get a biologist. If you're a biologist and you know about microbes farting, give us a ring. That is where most of the, not microbes, but um, cows apparently, that's where a large fraction of the methane in Earth's atmosphere comes from. So what's, what's this joint mission called? ExoMars. And this is the Trace Gas Orbiter. And then in two years' time, it will be followed by the second ExoMars mission, which is a rover. So we'll land on the surface and um, go exploring uh, the surface of Mars. ExoMars. ExoMars. I know, it's good, isn't it? That's really exciting. Yeah, so that's the beginning of one mission. One other thing that's happening in 2016 is the end of a mission, the Rosetta mission to the comet Churyumov-Gerasimenko. I remember her very well. You remember? How could I forget? You still haven't said it, though. No, and I think the chances of me saying it are quite slim. <laughs> Go on, uh, talk me through it. A so cherry, cherry... Not cherry, no. Cherry cola. Come cherry. <laughs> <laughs> on. Um, cherry. Cherry. Yumov. Cherry Yumov. Gerasimenko. Cherry Yumov Gerasimenko. Look at that, like yes. an expert. Ch- I've forgotten it. <laughs> 
Chiriyum of Jirazimenko. Superb. The Rosetta mission is coming to an end. And in September or thereabouts, they will actually try to um, land the spacecraft on the comet. So depending on who you believe, it's either a landing or a controlled crash. One one goes up, another comes down. Some kind of conservation law right there. How's Tim Peake? Tim Peake is very excited. He's a bit sad about David Bowie. He tweeted about that. Um, But he's very excited because on Friday the 15th, he gets to do a spacewalk. Now, this is the one thing that he said before he launched um, that if he got the chance, he would really love to do. And it's coming up pretty quickly. Why why has it come up so quickly? Well, there's a piece of kit that they call a solar shunt unit. And it helps. Um, uh, I saw one of those in the innovations catalogue. In Maplins yeah. down the road. <laughs> yeah. And it guides power um, from the solar panels to the space station. And uh, that needs replacing. So right. it's worn out. So he's got to go out and do that. And uh, then he's going to do some cable laying because while he's out there, he might as well do something useful. It's like he's on a YTS scheme. But it does sound a bit like that. How long will he be out there for? He's going to be out there for hours. I mean, many hours. Most of most of, of Friday. It's like uh, you know an office day, but out in space. It takes um, a couple of hours just to get into the spacesuit. <laughs> really? Yeah. You think trying to get, you know, skinny jeans on is difficult. I mean, yeah. that's nothing compared to trying that's to get into a spacesuit. for me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, don't put yourself down. And uh, a couple of hours just to get just, in the suit. Yeah, a couple of hours to get in the to get in the suit and make sure everything is, is you know, airtight and what have you because, you know, that's what you want. And then, I love this, then they spend a couple of hours breathing pure oxygen. I think that's just to, you know, jack them up to... I was going to say, be off your face, wouldn't you? <laughs> so, so they can really enjoy it out there. How are yeah. you doing, Tim? Still seeing the unicorn? One thing that they do do, and this is pretty cool, is long experience has told um, NASA that it is useless to expect an astronaut to do anything but gibber in a kind of awestruck way when they first get out into space and see the earth gibber. <laughs> so they kind of build in some time for the astronaut to just realize that they're looking you know there's nothing between them and space and the earth below but a sheet of, of glass in their helmet and so they, they have some sort of awe time that they can just actually sort of float there and think, wow, I'm really here. And this looks pretty cool. Are they kind of hooked? Can we listen to what they're saying? Or they, 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 are, they are saying that they're going to live stream it. So perhaps this will be the first time we'll hear an astronaut swear from orbit. Here's a question. Okay. A couple of people have asked me this, and I, I wasn't going to ask it, but the opportunity has arisen. Okay. Um, what happens if he needs a wee? Oh, is this, this is, isn't this amazing? This is always the question that yeah. comes up. Spacesuits are equipped with nappies. No. Yes. How did they poo? 
Well, just like a normal human being. Yeah, but how does gravity, the kind of lack of gravity, play a part? In ah, that? this you're 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 driving at the zero g toilet, aren't you? A little bit, yeah. <laughs> and I'm not alone in that. I know I'm not alone in that. No, you're not. It's it's pretty much one of the one of the things that always comes up or, or comes out. Oh. <laughs> So, the news is full of talk of gravitational waves. The news is full of talk about gravitational waves, isn't it? Yes. No. Why? Why? Well, this is something that's that's come up a little bit on the podcast before, with the launch of the Lisa Pathfinder mission to test technology to eventually detect these things from space. And but the two bars of metal. Yes. Going wibble wobble. There are also detectors on Earth. And they see slightly different um, uh, wavelengths of gravitational waves than the ones that we'd build in space. Um, the excitement is that there's been a rumour since November, I heard it first, that the American instrument may have seen something. Mm -hmm. um, and you hear these things every now and again, and there's a big, long analysis that they have to go through um, because these detections are are incredibly uh, difficult to make mm -hmm. and there's all sorts of noise that can um, fool you into thinking that you've seen something. It seems to have just suddenly taken off um, today in the news um, because an American physicist and author called Lawrence Krauss tweeted about it and said, oh, I've had these rumours confirmed. They may have seen something. So I'm thinking he's, he's had the fact that there's a rumour confirmed, <laughs> not the rumour has been confirmed into fact. Importantly, however, every now and again in the past, the management teams have injected um, false signals into the data stream to see if the analysis software and the science teams spot them. Yeah. It's just sort of tests to see if everything is working as it should do. And partly this is because the scientists involved in these detectors have been working on them for many decades now. And so the culture has always been that whatever you see on one of these detectors is just random noise. And yet now we're starting to get to the sensitivity where these gravitational waves might truly be seen and so the whole mindset of that scientific community has to change from one that you will never see anything and that we need to keep improving the equipment to we might now start to see things. And so these blind injections get put in to sort of keep them on their toes and to see if everything is working as it should do. So it could be, even if they've seen something, it could be one of these. And what happens is they do the analysis, they even write the discovery papers and, and get everything ready for the big publication and the announcement. And then they gather at a conference to decide exactly how to make the announcement, where to publish the papers. And the management tell them whether it's a blind injection or not, a real signal. 
So they've gone through this process several times now. They've rehearsed what they would do and how they would analyse and how they would announce. So it could be one of those. Now, interestingly, um, Lawrence Krauss then tweeted that he was told it wasn't a blind injection. It's not very clear to me how he can possibly know that. Um, but it, it, who knows? We wait, we wait to see. It's certainly true, as we've spoken about before, that... Uh, these gravitational waves are on the cusp of discovery mm. and that they really will be a whole new way of, of investigating the universe. The final big prediction verified from Einstein's general relativity. So it's a really exciting time. And again, that's why I think people are very um, anxious to jump on any idea that, that something has finally been seen. Of course. You know, the trouble is, unknown things, these particles, you know, they don't come out wearing little T-shirts with I'm a so-and-so and, you know, whatever their name is on, on them. You have to almost infer their presence. You have to dig it out of all the other random noise and all the other things that you're seeing. And so these gravitational wave detectors, the actual gravitational wave itself causes a disturbance that is a fraction of the width of an atom. <laughs> That's um, one of those crazy... It's, it's utterly mind-blowing. things, yeah. A bird flying by the building has the potential to disturb the equipment more than the actual signal that you're trying to detect. I've never trusted birds. They're shockers. They know what they're doing. Alfred Hitchcock was right yeah. all those years yeah. ago and yeah. we haven't learned. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs, also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Can I ask you a quick listener question? Please do. I say listener, it's my daughter. <laughs> Although she does listen. She does listen. And, oh, yes, I know what we've got coming up. Not in this episode, but in another episode soon. Mm -hmm. We've got a special edition of Big Fat Galactic Liar with the questions posed by a nine-year-old. Fantastic. And not even one of my children. Wouldn't that be really embarrassing if I got that wrong? Yeah. So my daughter Betty would like to know, if a quite large meteor, that's how she worded it. Good, I'm glad we're being technically accurate. If a quite large meteor hit New Zealand, would we be affected in England? Yes, we could be. We most definitely could be. And there are a number of ways that this could happen. So the first 
is that, I mean, if it truly is large enough and it hits with, with, with such a, a wallop, then the seismic waves will travel through the Earth and around the Earth. So we could feel it. Uh, the other way is that it will throw up so much material, dust into the atmosphere, that that will just be spread by the wind patterns around the globe. Mm. And if it's really large enough, then it can cause sort of the, the equivalent of a nuclear winter. So this was the idea that if you had a nuclear war, um, it would uh, all those... Uh, detonations would put enough dust up into the atmosphere that it would block the sun out and you'd have this prolonged, um, you know, artificial winter. Well, the same can happen with asteroid um, strikes. And that might be one of the things that um, helped to, to, to kill off the dinosaurs as well. When the, right. when the great big asteroid hit the Yucatan Peninsula in Mexico 65 million years ago, um, it's created a nuclear winter that sort of lowered the temperature of the earth and um, that put paid to the dinosaurs. They couldn't hack it. No. How they... large would a meteor have to be to cause that much damage? So for to, to do something like that, you would need a meteor that is um, a number of kilometres in diameter, um, preferably tens of kilometres in diameter. And the good news is that we're pretty certain... I mean, we're, we're quite confident, really, that there's nothing hazardous out there larger than about 10 kilometres. And the search programmes around the world are currently sort of working their way down to the kilometre-sized objects. And we're seeing nothing of that sort of dinosaur killer civilization threatening size that's out there um, at the moment. So sleep well tonight, listeners. It's time for Big Fat Galactic Liar quiz number four. Fourth podcast, so fourth Big Fat Galactic Liar. It would be, wouldn't it? The score is so far one to you, two to me, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, that has got to change. Let's see. Stu, hit me. Big Fat Galactic Liar, fact number one. NASA has been criticised for sending obscene pictures into space. <laughs> I can't believe you just laughed like that at the at the mention of obscene pictures. This is great. <laughs> Space smut. Space smut. Um, number two. A gramophone record is the furthest artificial object from Earth. Right. I'm just decoding that in my head. So there is somewhere out in space a gramophone record is the furthest away artificially made thing that doesn't occur naturally. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Okay. Big fat galactic liar. Fact number three. NASA used a tiny artificial valve developed for heart transplants in the design of their space shuttle rocket engines. Ooh, okay. <laughs> I'm still giggling about number one. <laughs> oh, Mark, will you always giggle at the idea of obscene pictures? Yes, I imagine you will. By the way, for any children listening, um, when Uncle Doctor Professor Stew says um, there's obscene pictures, it just means it just means naughty ones. That's all you need to know. Naughty mummy, daddy ones. 
<laughs> oh, I'm glad that's clarifying. Yes. <laughs> Naughty mummy daddy pictures. You know, like a picture of mummy and daddy stealing something from a shop or laughing at someone with a broken leg. <laughs> okay. Back so, on topic. So, fact number one, um, NASA have been criticised for um, sending obscene pictures into space. Fact number two is the gramophone record is the furthest artificial object in space, um, the furthest away from the Earth. And fact number three is NASA used a tiny little valve used in heart transplants. That's correct. In the design of their rocket. Right. I have no clue at all. I have no idea which is true. Um, I want them, I desperately want them all to be true because I like all of them. Now, is it, so what I'm using at the moment, this is my way of, my, my means of deduction. The third one about the heart valve, you look like you were reading that. Now, I can't see your papers, but you, it did look like you were reading, but then, of course, you could have written it down yourself. I'm going to say number three is the lie because it's the most sensible sounding one to me. I, this, it doesn't make any sense at all. My reasoning's rubbish, let's face it. There's no logic at play here. But I want the other two to be true. I want the smutty <laughs> pictures one to be true. And I want the gramophone floating around in space looking for a, looking for a record player to be true. <laughs> Stu? Is that your final answer? Yeah, number three is false. You're correct. No way. No. <laughs> oh, look at this. He's in. Oh, God, he's in lap of honour now. Mm. What my son does when he scores a goal. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Oh, what? no way. That's true. How am I doing this? How are you doing it? Yes. <laughs> Ooh, little, little flash of anger. <laughs> <laughs> so t- talk me through them talk then. Through them. So tell me about the smutty pictures. Uh, yes. Sorry, naughty pictures, naughty pictures, obscene pictures. In the 1970s, NASA launched. Oh, I should have known. <laughs> well, yeah, <laughs> straight out of the 60s. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they launched uh, two spacecraft um, called Pioneer 10 and 11, and they were to survey the outer solar system, and they were never going to return. In fact, the gravity of the large planets Jupiter and Saturn were going to give these spacecraft so much energy that they were going to be um, slung out of the solar system. So that even now they are travelling towards the stars. And Carl Sagan, the famous um, astronomer and planetary scientist, uh, he organised for special plaques to be placed on the spacecraft. And these plaques had diagrams on them uh, showing which planet the spacecraft had come from and showing a diagrammatic representation of the spacecraft and two human figures mm-hmm. next to it for, to show the size of the beings that created the uh, spacecraft. And those beings, uh, a man and a woman, um, were drawn nude Disgusting. That's what a lot of people thought. And so NASA were heavily criticised for sending obscene pictures into space. That true fact relates a little bit to the second one. Right. Because the next set of deep space 
probes, they decided instead of just putting plaques on them this time, they would actually put records on them, gold records that could be played um, by whatever alien civilization picks these things up. And they're full of the sounds of Earth. Um, they are not on any, there's not any representation of the human figures on them. Oh, seems a shame. I know, I should have stuck to their guns, really. But the, do, you want to, do you want to hear the music that, um, that they put on them? Some of, the, uh, some of the examples of the music that they put on these records? Yeah, go on. Um, Bach, mm-hmm. Mozart, mm-hmm. and Chuck Berry. Well, obviously. Obviously. They the, yeah, uh, go together. The Holy Trinity. Yeah. <laughs> Listen to those three. That's all you need to know about music. Welcome to Earth. They wanted, how's this for a pun, um, they wanted to put Here Comes the Sun by the Beatles on there. Oh. Uh, but EMI apparently wouldn't let them because the it was... Scoundrels. A, uh, some, something about being impossible to collect royalties from Alpha Centauri or something like that. So... Did you make that last bit up? No, I didn't, actually. It, well, there was a copyright issue that meant they couldn't put that on. I should have put that down as the big fat galactic liar. Oh, wow. Yeah, well, I'll, have, I'll have forgotten my next one. <coughs> oh, well, I'll, I'll do it again. Time, yeah. Recycle it. <laughs> um, brilliant. I really like that. Mm. Now, and as for the third one, it's sort of good news because it, it, it was the lie, but all you need to do is turn it round to make it true. So what actually happened was that there was a doctor in America um, called um, Dr. Michael DeBakey. Hey, there's nothing funny about the name Michael DeBakey. There is something a bit funny about <laughs> Because it says DeBakey. This is, have you met my colleague, Michael DeBakey? This is my other colleague, uh, Alistair the Butchery. Come on, <laughs> being silly. Um, well, in 1984, he gave a heart transplant to a NASA engineer. And... I hesitate to even say the name of this chap now. David Saucier. This is like a carry-on film, this. He's going that way. Yeah, you'll be doing your Kenneth Williams next. Oh. <laughs> oh. Oh. So in 1984, David Saucier had a heart transplant uh, performed by Michael DeBakey. And they started talking because Saucier realised what was needed was a tiny pump that uh, one of the biggest problems they had in creating these things was if they were sort of screw thread or something like that to, to actually pump the blood around, um, it would damage the blood cells, the red blood cells, and this could lead to clotting and all the rest of it. And he realised that the, the, the fuel pumps that were in, that they developed for the space shuttle um, worked in such a way um, that they wouldn't damage the blood. And they were also small enough at just uh, one or two inches in size um, that you could comfortably fit them in the chest um, of even children. And so these valves or these pumps were taken from the uh, the space program and refined and engineered for um, heart transplants. So it's sort of true the other way around. It's true the other way around, yeah. Oh, I like that a lot. Do you know what else I like? What? Three one, <laughs> three one to mark. Yeah, this the next one. Yeah, I'm getting you on the next one. That's right. You heard it here first. If I'm not here for the next recording, you know why. <laughs> I'm in a rocket somewhere <laughs> um, with some smutty pictures. 
And that's the end of another Studentiverse. It is. Done and dusted. At the end of another Studentiverse. I usually do the bit at the very end by myself, and I I think it always sounds a bit odd, because I'm not usually with you when I record it, so it always sounds odd, so I thought I'd do it now, and you can chip in. Um, Thanks for listening. Um, Thanks again for sharing the podcast with your friends and on Twitter and Facebook and wherever else. And please also, if you don't mind leaving us a quick review on iTunes, that'd be brilliant because that, that all helps to, to getting the word out about the podcast. Yeah, that's it, I suppose. Bye. That's the only thing left to say now. Oh, apart from that, the Stuniverse is a bingo production podcast produced by me, Marco Sullivan, with himself over there. Dr. Stu. Dr. Stuart Clark. Our illustrations are by Dan the Scribbler. Go to thescribbler.co.uk to see his wonderful work. And additional music in this podcast is by the lovely John Shearer. Thank you to everyone who supports us. We love you. Bye. Bye bye. <laughs>